All righty. Welcome to the Feel the Heal series, Trauma and the 12 Steps. Today, I have Jimmy here with me, and we are going to be going over step two, and specifically the part in step two where it says, came to believe. So before I get started on talking about trauma and how it kind of ties into the body, I really wanted to get Jimmy's unique perspective of this phrase came to believe and like where, how it's manifested in your personal recovery, but also in the work you do with others. Mm. So what comes to mind when I first bring that up? Yeah, that's awesome. Um, yeah. So when I think of what I teach when I go into these facilities and stuff like that, when I'm on step two is understanding how does somebody come to believe something? You know, how does somebody grow into a belief system and even not only coming into a belief and holding it, but coming into a belief and just trying to understand it? You don't even have to adopt it. I just talk about belief systems as a whole in a way to just understand them and develop them so that they're healthy and logical, right? Because Part of the unmanageability we find in step one is there's inner unmanageability and there's outer unmanageability. The inner unmanageability we have are unhealthy and untrue belief systems about the world we live in, the people in our lives, and ourselves. Now, these unhealthy and untrue belief systems, you're talking about a whole system of beliefs that just stems to one major belief, okay? How does somebody come into believing these things? And I always start by saying the way we came into believing that drugs and alcohol and this trauma response, whatever you want to call it, is good for us is the same method we're going to use to get out of it, all right? So I basically say, how do I come to believe? I use my own personal recovery experience. How do I come to believe that I used to use heroin, okay? <laughs> Just for everyone listening, a kind of hard stop right there. But how do <laughs> I come to believe that <laughs> that using a substance like heroin is a smart decision instead of Percocets? How does somebody come to believe that using alcohol is going to solve their beer drinking problem? That using uh, vape is going to solve their cigarette problem, right? How do we come to believe this? When, if you were to go back to the foundation of that belief, you, somebody would say, at one point in their life, I didn't think alcohol was good or bad or any thought. I, at one point in my life, had a moral stance on drugs are bad. You know what I mean? At one point in my life, I believed these things. And then somewhere along the way, that belief changed and I became a little bit more curious and a little bit more interested and this is where I get into the idea of step two being a research project on the solution okay so it's basically like how do I come to believe something new even if at one point I had a belief about it and the way that I believe people come to do this is by experience and education they usually will come in. Now, believing something, to believe something, means to accept something as true. The antonym for believing something is denial. We can't even start the steps. We can't even start the work if we're in denial. So when we're actually confronting our denial and accepting our disease of addiction or our trauma or mental health or whatever problem we're trying to accept, we're actually in the process of step two unknowingly. Then step two comes. And the first step is, wow, okay, I'm an addict. <laughs> I have this problem and I have surrendered to help and uh, it's unmanageable and I don't know what it is. And the hope is people saying, you know, what do I do? How do I, how do I get out of this situation? Please help me, you know? And that's where we go through, well, okay, Let's start with the way that I do it is just like understanding belief. Okay. Accepting something as true. Well, how do I go about accepting something as true? And one fun question that I like to start the discussion with is 
Is there anybody in here that believes in something that they don't have tangible evidence of? And that's where everybody's minds start turning. People will say things like God. They'll say karma. They'll say superstitions. They'll say aliens. They'll say ghosts. They'll say all Bigfoot, all these things that they believe but have no tangible evidence that it exists. And I'm like, okay, well, how do you, how do people come to, I go, anybody in here ever met an alien? And every now and then you'll have someone who's like, oh, it's like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, whatever, dude, you're, you're smoking meth or doing some crazy stuff, you know, but, but. You, or you maybe know. they really did meet an alien. <laughs> and maybe they really did meet an alien. You've had those discussions, but, and when I ask them, I say, well, how do you, come to believe in aliens. Maybe they really did meet an alien and they have the experience that leads them to saying, no, they're real. I've met one, yada, yada, yada. But then you have other people who don't have the experience. Their experience is solely through education and they educate themselves through books. They'll read. There's so many books out there on aliens. There's TV shows on aliens. There's podcasts on aliens. There's like alien conventions. There's secret alien Facebook pages where people go and, you know, up to Area 51 and, you know, people wear alien T-shirts. There's all merchandise in it. There's a whole market in it. And people actually, not Satan, I'm not here. It's not about confirming or denying whether or not aliens are true. It's just coming into my belief. You see what I'm saying? It's about I was going to say, this is about to turn into an episode <laughs> about me talking to you about why aliens are real or, or <laughs> confronting your belief that maybe they're not. Uh, yeah, yeah. And but no, not... I see what you're saying here. It's about coming to believe in something that, you know, in 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 a larger perspective is maybe not something that we can actually prove through tangible like the way that I'm like okay I can believe that I have an ear because look there's my ear right here I can show it to you like it's we don't have that type of evidence mm -hmm. but then it goes sometimes I'll bring it even deeper right and I'll say well how do you even know you have an ear you yeah. know like, how does one know they have an ear? How does one know that they're actually experiencing that? You know, like, how do you know you're actually experiencing anger? What if you're experiencing another emotion? How do you come to believe that you're experiencing, you know, resentment? What if you're just for someone else? What if you're just experiencing it towards yourself? And if you're not willing to, entertain the idea and just be open-minded then we're going to remain closed-minded and there is going to be no opportunity for understanding kind of like other people understanding the world and understanding possibilities within myself even and that's where the powers greater than ourselves come into play because i need to come to believe that something can fix this problem. And a lot of people believe that nothing can fix their problem because they've tried everything and everything didn't work and this and that. And it's a whole, it, and then here comes the system, right? <laughs> so it's like, okay, well, why didn't it work? Maybe I believed I was giving it a hundred percent and I actually wasn't. You know, maybe I believed that I was able, this is a common one you'll see, maybe I was believed I was able to get into a relationship in early recovery and I wasn't fit to, you see what I'm saying? And, you know, when people go back and think about how the state of mind that they were so confident in was a lie <laughs> you know that's a little shaky and a little scary so but you know it's it's that is understanding and learning anything you know and 
this specific part when it comes to addiction and mental health with coming to believe is specifically coming to believe that there is a solution. There is a power greater than myself that can help me reach. I call this my higher power. Okay. So not, I mean, you can use it in like a God sense if you want, but I like to think of it as a higher power. The power greater than myself gives me an ability to reach my higher power, to reach my higher potential and be the person that I'm meant to be and make the right decisions. So, yeah, I love that. I mean, what you're saying, um, I like how you use the word solution because it's a little bit more digestible and when you're coming with these questions to people about this like critical thinking, the other thing that came to mind is like the question, what if what I think is the problem is actually not the problem? So with mental health or like trauma specifically, and we actually learn this in the 12 steps with our addiction too, like the alcohol, the heroin, the stuff, yeah, that created powerlessness and unmanageability, but that wasn't actually the the, the overall problem. There were, there were many roots and there were many belief systems. There were many ingrained beliefs about ourselves, about the world about, around us that were flawed, you know, or mm-hmm. that were not, let's say maybe they worked for us at one point, but they're not working anymore. And they're actually creating this unmanageability and this powerlessness, which, you know, to, to, circle back a little bit, you know, step one, it does talk about that, the powerlessness and the unmanageability. And, you know, you were talking about like the information gathering. That's the first part is like to, to witness the reality that we're in by gathering information and gathering facts about ourselves and our circumstance. And Mm -hmm. so that's what we do with addiction. And that's also what we do with, um, trauma is we bring a language, which we did in, you know, which I did in the previous episodes of what, like, what is addiction? Or in this case, what is trauma? What does that actually mean on a physiological level for myself? And start, once you start getting these facts, you start, you, you, I think it allows for that coming to believe because the very nature of trauma and addiction is it closes us in. It isolates us away from the world. It constricts us. And with that, it creates the delusion and the belief that we're alone Mm. and that we're the only ones experiencing this level of hopelessness and unmanageability. And once we get to that first step where we can start getting a language and information about this experience, then it almost allows us to be curious, which is a fundamental principle and quality to healing trauma is curiosity. Could there be a solution, a higher power, or maybe it's just energetically this big mass of modalities and tools that are actually going to help me move out of this experience and into a new one. Mm. And, you know, first from the perspective of healing trauma, when you go into the therapeutic approach, we uh, oftentimes there's the top down, which is you go to CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, and you start addressing our thoughts, what you know about yourself. So it's, it's that critical thinking. But the thing is, like you mentioned, these belief systems that we have, they're not just what we know of ourselves. They're deep-rooted, deep-seated, subconscious beliefs that dwell below our level of consciousness. And that's exactly what trauma is. Like Mm -hmm. most of the trauma that's actually guiding our life Most of our survival mechanisms are dwelling below our level of consciousness. And so some of those things we're not even going to connect with until we start having an experience of self. But Mm. coming to believe it's about, okay, wow, what these people are saying, what I'm witnessing in myself and what they're telling me about my circumstance is maybe it's true. Maybe it's true that I could actually have a new experience. Mm. And then circling back to the question of 
what if the problem I think I have isn't actually the problem? And the reason I bring that up in the context of trauma is because people come in thinking, if I just get rid of this panic, if I just get rid of my outbursts, if I just get rid of my depression, and they think all of these mental health or symptoms of trauma are the problem. And so they're shaming and condemning this thing that actually was a mechanism that protected them and worked for them for a period of time. Mm -hmm. And that's the same thing with the addict. You know, as long as you shame yourself for using, it's going to be really hard to get out of that mechanism of survival, Mm -hmm. which, you know, using substances is just a survival mechanism that at one point in time, it makes sense, you know, we we used that as a mechanism because at one point in time, it worked for us and it gave us this relief. And so we came to believe that that was something that worked for us, you know, and then we had to, like, I love how you said, the same way we started to come into that, those survival mechanisms is the same way we're going to come out of it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. with trauma, it's believing, okay, maybe my panic's not the problem. Maybe the way I'm relating to it is. Maybe the way I'm approaching it is. Maybe my belief systems about my trauma, about my panic, about my anxiety, maybe these identities I've created or these de- these belief systems that I have are actually the very things that are constricting me and confining me. And that leads to the very, uh, the principle behind step two, which is Mm open-mindedness. And as a result of that, you know, dumbing of evolutionary, biological, natural feelings like fear and shame and adrenaline and sleep, sleepiness and hunger, right? As a result of suppressing those and then in having those beliefs, like you're talking about those unconscious beliefs coming in, right? Then you have the beliefs that are bestowed upon me by family, by society, right? And that doesn't matter whether it's, you know, drug or alcohol related, if it's relationship related, you know what I mean? You could have these belief systems. I mean, you have you have people believing that their parents are horrible people, you know what I mean? As a result of the parents talking about one another when they're not around and you know, and how do they develop this belief system? How do they learn these things? And then as a result of these ways in which these belief systems have been adopted, you sit back and say, okay, how long, where did this begin? Right. That's I guess where the work happens you know where did this begin and then you say to yourself well okay as a result of living this way from start to today how much damage has been done and what is that restoration process going to look like sanity is the goal in this right the goal is sanity to have the ability to think and behave in a normal rational manner That normal, rational manner has to be within my realm, within society, within my new belief systems. And that is an ability that I have been lacking for who knows how long. And it's up to me to believe that something out there can help me. And it's not going to be an easy fix. They say we didn't become addicted overnight. So remember, easy does it. You know what I mean? Some of these medications people take take 30 to 45 days before they even feel the effect. I don't know how long you're going to be in the gym before you start seeing results. You know what I mean? None of these, there are, there is no, I truly believe there is no shortcut, cheat code, you know, anything you could do to overcome addiction, mental health, trauma. It's one of those things that you just got to come to believe like, okay, I got this hard work I got to do as a result of believing the beliefs I have. I have prevented myself from normal perception, perspective, social interactions and normal behavior. And if I want to adopt that ability, I have to believe something out there works. Now, again, this isn't even about doing it. 
This has nothing to do with doing. It's research. <laughs> I don't even have to do the project. I think that the best tool that someone could learn in this stage is asking as many questions as you can, like a skill, like critical questioning, critical thinking, like how is a sponsor going to help me, bro? <laughs> How's it going to help me? I did that in active addiction, right? Look at this. Let's pretend this is a hit of acid. You know what I did? I said to people, this, this is going to make me see Daffy Duck. <laughs> you know what I mean? And they're like, yeah, bro. I'm like, no way. There's, and it costs $10. There's no way. You know what I mean? There's no way it's going to work. I didn't not do it. They said, okay, if you don't think it's going to work, give it back. And I was like, no, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to try it. <laughs> you know, why can't I have that mentality towards recovery? Why can't I laugh at something that like reading a book or having a sponsor and look at it and say, how is this going to help me? There's no way it's, it's $10. It's free. You know what I mean? There's no way that this is going to help me and have the same attitude of I'm going to try it anyways, you know? And I think that that is the power in this step is like being committed to trying it regardless of my own belief system, because regardless of what I believe, I, regardless of the impact that I think my behavior is having and what I believe on it, it's doing something different. You know what I mean? So regardless of whether or not I believe I'm managing my addiction, I'm actually ruining my life. Regardless of me believing that I'm driving on a flat tire and I can make it another mile, I'm actually putting everything at risk, you know? Regardless of everybody believing the earth was the center of the universe, like Galileo said, it was not. <laughs> and we were still rotating around the sun. So regardless of the beliefs we have, the reality is still doing its thing. So Right. I love that. And the other thing, too, is like with trauma, too, I think it's important people realize that we have beliefs that we and, you know, thought life experiences that we know are negative. We know that we want to change them. We know we don't want to feel this way about people. But then the very nature of trauma is like we have belief systems that are stored in the mechanisms of our body in the way that our muscles and uh, constrict and inform how we're going to move, how we're going to respond, the ways that our cells inform each other, the way that our, our um, organs digest. Like this is all... Trauma goes deep into every subtle mechanism of the body. And so that's what I mean when I say it's below our level of consciousness is realizing that, you know, we have to come to believe because leading to the second part, we are powerless over those things. And even with when we're equipped with facts, like you were just describing, even if I think I'm going to manage my addiction because now I know I'm an addict even though I'm well aware that I have trauma and I know that they're, you know, and I'm validating, yes, I have trauma. Yes, I experience these things. The, that's not going to heal it. And I like what you said about it's not about doing because healing and recovery is about being restored to wellness. And sanity, actually, sanity in the, um, I love that you started talking about it. That's why I was smiling because I wanted to mention this part from uh, the 12 and 12 book. It says sanity is defined as soundness of mind. And soundness, when it comes to trauma healing and healing from trauma, sanity is defined as soundness of the body. And the main belief system that the body has, that the nervous system has, that is stuck on repeat, is I am not safe. Mm. And that's what trauma is. It's the body constantly saying, I'm not safe. And it's going to manifest in each different person in a different way. And it's subtle. Again, it's once you heal one layer of trauma, you might actually get access to another layer. And it could show up as it's not safe for me to tell my friends no when I'm too tired to go out to eat. And it's not safe for me to tell no my 
family know or to not pick up the phone when someone's calling me. Maybe my nervous system is literally telling me it's unsafe because one of my mechanisms is people pleasing and that's a sur- survival response and that's my trauma. And maybe it's, maybe I'm not consciously believing that I'm not good enough just as I am, or I'm not worthy of their love without my performance. Maybe I don't consciously believe that, but my body's mechanisms are playing and interacting as if I do believe that because I'm powerless, even if I know I need to set boundaries, but then that phone rings and I, I answer and I show up and I do things that I know I shouldn't be doing because I'm afraid of breaking a connection with someone. Or maybe it comes up as like procrastination. And this is stuff that like, I feel like every addict needs to hear too, because when we get into more sobriety, it's not just about like putting substances down. It's about looking at these behavioral patterns in our life that are influence that are creating unmanageability with ourselves, like you were saying internally, but also in our relationships, in our work, in our home, like the quality of our, our relationships and like procrastination is another one, you know, maybe I know that I want to get these things done, but all of a sudden my body says it's not safe. All of these ideas that are coming into my brain, all of a sudden my body gets overwhelmed and says it's not safe. It's too much. So now we're going to procrastinate and we're not going to get anything done, actually. Mm -hmm. And once you start realizing, because again, people come in and they're like, procrastination's the problem. You know, I'm people, please, whatever it may be, but it's like, yes, those may be causing like uh, unmanageability in your life. Maybe you're not achieving what you want to, but what is below that? And how can we not try to do away with it, but just to be with it, like be with the overwhelm that causes you to procrastinate, be with the part of you that doesn't feel worthy and needs to, um, you know, people please in order to feel like you're worthy of love and start being. And that comes back to the curiosity of like, I'm not going to change this, but I'm going to start to um, connect or relate to what I'm experiencing in a different way. And that is the first experience or experiment, I think. Like that's the first research assignment. Like, is it possible for me to be okay first with my body telling me that it's unsafe? And is it okay first if I try something different? Like instead of going, I'm a loser, I'm a nobody, I'm not getting anything done. Maybe it's like today I'm feeling that procrastination coming on. Could I believe that there's something else out there that's going to help me? Mm. And then, and then, you know, we'll obviously get into more episodes that talk about modalities and tools that end up being the research. Like that's the practical part of the program is the research where I think, I feel like step two is almost like a hypothesis, you know? It's like you're creating this hypothesis in an experiment. And then you're testing it. You wanna test it too. So you don't just do it like, you don't just do it once. I'm so happy you said it's a hypothesis because I treat it like a science experiment. You know what I mean? Like you like gravity, I never throw a pen and it just keeps going. You know what I mean? It always comes down. So, you know, if I were to go around, don't just ask one person. Don't just Google it once. Don't just look it up once. You have to use multiple sources, multiple people. You have to spend time. I always say to people, do you remember doing a research report in like uh, middle or high school? Remember doing a research report? You remember what you did it on? Oh, <laughs> uh, no. I do. And now a lot of people do. I remember I did one on Robert De Niro and I did one on Lebanon. And I don't remember anything from those research reports, like specifically. I just remember that I did it, you know? And I got an A on it and I passed and whatever. I mean, going back and looking at recovery, you know what I mean? It's like if someone's in detox or treatment, they're doing extensive research. And that is a serious life 
thing, you know, and that serious life decision is on a foundation of a first step of, you know, my life, my health is unmanageable. My relationships are out of whack. My career is unmanageable. And keep in mind, like, just because it's a, because it's a solution means there only has to be a problem. You know, like you don't have to have addiction. You could, if I'm hungry, let's say I'm hungry. So this is, this is good. This is a good thing to talk about. Let's say I'm hungry, natural, instinctive feeling, right? You know what I mean? Everything we're talking about hunger. Why would I reach? So even though I'm hungry, I still go and I reach for what there's, this is where the decision comes in. You know what I mean? And there's, and this is where that same layer that you have to unfold um, to understand your past. This is where the onion like unfolds as you're going into who you are, you know, because you have to sit there and say, okay, well, I'm healthy. Like, this is a true story for me. I remember being like, all right, I'm healthy. So that means I'm going to eat Chick-fil-A instead of McDonald's. <laughs> right. <laughs> And this is where like the addict thinking goes, okay, okay, you're right. You're right. I'm an alcoholic. So I'm gonna go from drinking every day to drinking on the weekends. And it's like, okay, we have to, you know, love what you're trying to do there. <laughs> you know what I mean, I think that that's awesome that you're trying to make changes. I just don't see that belief, that decision being a good one. And like, how do you get someone to understand this? And this is where third step comes in is because maybe people are trying to get them to understand it. But third step means I have to turn my will and my life over to the care of God, God's will, as I understand him, the care of God. Right. And if I am trying to do what I'm trying to do, like, let's say I go around and get all this research and I have two things. I have step one. This is what my addiction is. This is what the problem is, how bad the problem can be. This is step two. This is the solution. This is what my life could be like. No guarantee. That's the could. That's why they say could, because there's no guarantee it's going to work, but it could. And this might work. This is a guarantee though. Step one. I mean, if I use, or if I don't fix my flat tire, if I don't get something to eat, these problems are guaranteed to happen or get worse. So it's like, okay, why would people not go with step two? Why would they not go with the solution? And that is self-will. And it's defined as the quality of obstinately doing what one wants in spite of the wishes or orders of others. And there's quality to that, right? And this is where I try to tie in I like how we're tying. You can't really talk about one, two, and three without talking about all of them, you know? And people who make, all right, people who make good, people who make decisions that align with what they believe is right and wrong, so what they morally believe, like a good quality decision, right? Like a good quality decision. They can tell you what went into that decision. You know what I'm saying? Like they can tell you why they made that decision, the ins and outs, the quality. And I compare the quality of decision-making with the quality of a blanket, right? If I go to jail and they give me a blanket in jail, do you think they know the amount of threads that are in that blanket. <laughs> think they know the thread count in that blanket. No, it's a low quality blanket. They can't tell you the thread count. Someone who's living a low quality life cannot tell you the decisions that are producing the life that they have. And that is a problem, you know? Not a problem. You're still gonna get the job done. You're still gonna survive. You're still gonna have a blanket. But, you know, that might not align with other people's standards. So I always say, People who, when their will aligns with God's will, they know the decisions that they make that produce the life that they want. They say, yeah, I'm here because I did A, B, and C. I know the decisions that I consciously made that produced the life that I have. And that's when I turn my will. I have to turn, I have to decide to do that unknowingly, you know, but 
that's that's how coming to believe can get disrupted in the third step because of self-will and people not wanting to do it in spite of others and defined as like stubbornness real stubborn yeah and i think too like there is a very huge energetic difference between two and three because three is about making like you're saying making a decision and when you make a decision that involves action, that automatically also involves consequence. Positive, negative, pleasant, unpleasant. It just, it comes with a mm. level of accountability mm. where there's a softness to step two and coming to believe because you're not yet, you're not yet taking on the responsibility and accountability and the consequence that comes with making a decision and making a decision just, you know, especially from the perspective of trauma can be overwhelming. It can be paralyzing when confronted with a decision that needs to be made. And actually that's what most addicts and most individuals struggle with is the decision making. But that's why step two is more, it has this lighter energy of like, what if I could just be open? What if I could be open? Maybe I, maybe before I even think about making a decision, what if I start to believe that like, that learning how to align my will and learning how to come out of survival, which I've been in, what if it, what if it's not gonna, maybe it's gonna take time. Maybe it's gonna take time to build trust. And to learn what proper decisions are for myself. But can I believe that I need to start somewhere? And can I believe that actually there's some tools that are being offered to me of people who have actually had to make the decisions that I'm making right now? And that's where I think the solution of that starts to come in. Because, because again, it's like we're also our lack or inability to feel safe in decision-making when it comes to trauma, like the perspective of trauma, we're powerless over that too. You know, like some people are literally not capable of making a decision at, in, at maybe from where they're at or like from their level of trauma. So it really does come to like, okay, well, they're coming back to the like, okay, can I believe that there is a decision out there that mm. might actually work for me. And could I, once you, you know, and it, it takes time because eventually you start to believe, like, for example, I don't know any addicts that are like really doing the deal in their recovery that look back and go, I was never meant to be an addict. That should have never happened to me. I should have never had that experience. Most addicts today that I know that are like living the solution that they found, they're like, wow, like that they see that that was meant for them. They see that every aspect of that experience was designed specifically for them to have. And it's the same, I think, too with trauma and people that have experienced trauma, have gone through trauma, are in the middle of healing trauma, like on the other side of it, there's a promise. Mm. And the promise is the purpose that you find. And um, you, you know, you end up, I think that's where the alignment with decision-making happens is because you realize you're not trying to like rewrite the past, but you're trusting what's guiding you forward. And you know that like by making those decisions, you're just going to be led into what is for you. And you don't like look back and think what you've experienced was somehow not like it, it wasn't meant for you or you, you weren't meant to have that life or, um, I don't know. I don't know if that's making sense, but I, I thought of that as you were talking about like the man making a decision. Oh, I'm going to make this decision to like, you know, drink this way instead of that way. But it's like when you're truly coming to believe in like a new life that there is, that is going to be offered to you. Cause that's part of what's being written in step two is like, not just 
we're just not we're not just believing that there's this power, but we're also believing that there's this serenity that we could achieve. There's this soundness of mind. There's this sanity. There's this restoration. Mm. And so in that, it's like when you realize that that's what you're walking towards, the decisions it starts to get a little bit more clear and the, it, it leads into an easier approach to step three because you realize, okay, is this decision going to bring me peace? Is it going to bring me clarity? Is it going to be mm-hmm. bring me connection that's authentic? And, and sometimes we really genuinely don't know the answer, mm-hmm. you know, when we, because trauma, the soundness of mind it goes all the way, it seeps into that hopeless state of the body. So like you really don't know what's my intuition and what's my trauma and survival response. Like healing trauma, that's what you're healing. You're healing, is this gut, this this constriction in my gut, is this my instinct telling me? Like, is this my intuition, my spiritual guidance, my alignment with my creator saying, this isn't for you, don't make that choice? Or is this my trauma? Is this my fear that's making that? And this will, as far as from the perspective of trauma, we are going, that's what this journey will lead you on is building. That's the exact nature of this practical program Mm. is it starts to reinforce trust in your body and in the cues of your body. So that you can learn the language of your fear, you can learn the language of your trauma, you can learn the language of your survival mechanisms through your sensory experience. But I love saying this, God consciousness becomes a working part of the mind as a promise in step 11, 10 or 11. But trauma, God consciousness becomes a working part of the body. That is a promise when you start to heal trauma because you start to learn on a sensory level what's guiding you. And like, truly, mm-hmm. once you learn that, I feel like, and this has not, I mean, I'm going way past step two now at this point, but like, once you learn this, I feel like, how could you not see our physicality as divine? Like mm-hmm. our physical form and every single, every single cue in our body is of God. Like it mm-hmm. is, that is like the most intense awakening that could happen in, I think like, I don't know, maybe it's just because I resonate with the body and I'm like a body worker and stuff, but like, I'm just like, dang, there's no, there is no conversation with self and spirit that is more profound to me Mm. because like, that is the essence of why we're here. Like we're, we're spiritual beings having a human experience. Well, what is it to be human? It's to be physical. It's to be in the senses. Mm. you know and you and you nailed it on the head it's like well what is gonna pull us away from these decisions it's our emotions it's our feelings it's these 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 things we got going on because that restoration process like for my i'll say my part of the restoration process and any restoration process there's a part of me that says this isn't working you know what i mean there's a part of me that wants to revert back to the comfort you know what i mean there's a part of me that doesn't want to remain in the discomfort and keep on doing the work and thinking that like that goal that i was set out to get is just unattainable and it's like not true it is attainable that relationship is possible with myself and my feelings and my emotions like it once you learn once people learn how what their fear feels like and they envision and produce a safe outcome to like challenge that fear and work with it it's it's like liberating it's like a freedom that's lifted that's been there this whole time and you can't there's some people that you can't educate that on it goes back to like education and experience there's some people who just have to experience it and in order to experience it we have to be able to feel emotions and drugs and alcohol and trauma responses are emotions on demand they're feelings on demand it's like a remote control i can remotely 
control my emotions, you know? And I see um, in the restoration process, the tolerance towards the, we'll say, um, stimuli causing the feeling increases so that I'm no longer scared of what I used to be scared of because my tolerance towards that increases. But this is where you start to, this is where we start to look at even deeper. This is where the onion peels even more is that it's not like you overcome fear once and it's gone. It's not like you over, it's not like you get sober and everything's done. It's not like you get a sponsor and the world is, you know, butterflies and rainbows, you know, it's like, once you get that, there's a next level of fear. And then once you get to that level, there's another level. And the more you can understand it, the better you can be at having the ability to like make good decisions, you know, that are on a foundation of health and wellness and whatever is good for you as an individual. And I think yeah. that when people step out of the, uh, when they make decisions on emotions rather than intelligence over an extended period of time, their morals around what is right and wrong gets distorted. So someone goes from thinking that alcohol is bad to thinking that, uh, oh, stealing, no, I'll use stealing, for example. Somebody may think that stealing is bad. They're like, you know, stealing is bad. I morally believe that stealing is bad. Then they start stealing and 10 years later, their morals have changed to, well, I think that stealing from a corporation is okay, but stealing from a mom and pop place is not, you know, and that same thing can happen in recovery where somebody could merely say, you know what? Yeah, I guess I got to get sober. I got to like be in recovery. And then they could really strengthen and hone in on what actually gives them the feeling that they're in recovery, you know what I mean? Is it calling your sponsor, going to meetings, being with family, celebrating the freedoms that you get in recovery? I don't know, but that's how you start to, that's how people lose their morals and begin to, I guess, get them back by honing in on their emotions. Which is interesting because if I think about it, like, cause I am in a, I am motivated by emotions. Like mm -hmm. I have to tend to my emotions before anything else. Like that is my, I mean, if, if I, if I wanted to um, be a weird astrology girl, like there's a placement in my astrology chart that validates this, but, um, but I just know that that's true for me. And I think also that's probably why I am like a nerd for somatic work. Like I am just all about the body because emotions are of the body. You know, they're physiological patterns of sensations. That's mm. if you want to get really specific, that's what they are. And so I believe what you're saying as far as like, yeah, we have to act out of being rational. But then when you're talking about trauma, it's like we can't rationalize our survival mechanisms because they're literally physiological responses in our bodies. And so it's more about developing. And like you said, this our tolerance gets increases when we start to work with those responses and tend to them by being with them. And that goes back to like, this isn't doing, it's applying the open-mindedness and the curiosity principles to the body and to what's coming up, to the emotions. Instead of acting on them, acknowledge them, witness them, mm -hmm. tend to them, be curious about them. And when you do that, like what you just said, you were like, you have to work, make decisions on the on in, intellect. And it's interesting because there's this saying that I love that's knowledge is of the mind and intelligence is of the heart. Mm. And I truly believe any recovering addict who is like really doing the deal, living in alignment with spirit, like they're heart led individuals, they're heart centered individuals, heart warriors, like warriors of the heart. And um, knowledge, you know, it even says in our big book, like knowledge only gets us so far. Like we actually can't 
act on knowledge. We have to act on that intelligence, which is not just of the mind, it's of the whole system. Hmm. And so emotions are a part of that. But alignment comes in when the emotions align with our, our, our reasoning. And there's a full body and mind and spirit connection. But that's more step three, I think. Um, but just for the sake of wrapping this up, because we could go on forever. Never, and yeah. also, I feel like you need to come on for more of these episodes because like we just it's firing like things yeah, are firing um <laughs> like we just need to finish this series together really yeah for um, sure we could have kept on going so um but yeah so the last thing i want to say for the listeners about step two and because we were talking about the fear just to like soften just so people can soften and to kind of like be gentle with themselves with this it's like the fear, addressing the fear, addressing the emotions, addressing the reactivity, we're going to get to that. That comes in the, these 12 step solution. But with step two and trauma, like the fear is there, the survival mechanisms are there. So all we're asking, is it possible to be with them and also invite in this new idea about them? We're not telling you get rid of them. We're not telling you you have to get let go of this fear because yeah, you're right. There's a reason your fear is there. It's been there for a long time and it wants to keep you safe. And so like, we're not asking you to throw it all out all at once. And I think that's what people also fear in making decisions is like, oh my God, if I, if I make this decision, I can never go back or whatever. So it's like just the open-mindedness of like, can we just bring this idea into our fear as well? Mm-hmm. So stay tuned, everybody. Um, did you want to have any final thoughts, Jimmy? Um, yeah, basically same idea of that. I would say just have fun. You know what I mean? Like have fun asking questions. Like this is this is a conspiracy theorist favorite step. <laughs> you know what I mean? If you're <laughs> one of those type of people, like like try to debunk recovery, like go out there and you like, that's the best part about this is try to debunk it. You know what I mean? And in, in your effort of doing that, you're going to get the answers and uh, you know, it's okay. Just, just, just have fun learning. That's it. You know, that's all I got to say. Have fun learning. Well, thanks for coming on and thank you everyone who is tuned in to listen. Stay tuned for the rest of the series. There'll still be another episode on step two and then we'll be rolling out the rest of the steps. So stay tuned.